0: it's good to be with all of you my name is craig brown you know me yes yes many of you don't (laughs) but it's good to be with all of you i'm glad to share in this time of worship with you today we're continuing in a series this morning called vitality rest renew And reset and how we do that in our own lives So something I've noticed lately amongst human beings Just in terms of casual interaction Is that the number of topics that we're allowed to kind of freely talk about together Continues to shrink I don't know if you've noticed this lately So it used to be that one of the only topics that we didn't talk about was death As if Christians had nothing to say about that And then we're not supposed to talk about taxes, and we usually don't, except that we don't want to pay them. The third thing that we don't want to talk about that much anymore, politics. And this has gotten even worse, hasn't it? Yeah, for some reason, our culture has reverted in some capacity that we all seem to engage with each other like five-year-olds when it comes to discussing politics. So much so that it's gotten to the point that as you're sitting here on October the 1st, there are people around our country who are calculating their Thanksgiving and Christmas plans based on who they will and will not have to sit with because of their political views. It happens all the time. It happens in family after family after family. So I want to talk with you about another topic we don't talk about very often. Are you ready? And it's not just eat your vegetables. It's our body. Our body. And how our bodies our gifts from God and to be used by God now I have to say this is a bit of an awkward topic for me because well let's just say I'm not the perfect human specimen <laughs> most of us are not but we have to recognize when we talk about our bodies and how they're used for God and used by God we're talking about something very important one of the most valuable things we have so I just want you to get comfortable in your pew this morning I want you to get comfortable at home wherever you're sitting because we're gonna talk about something awkward, our bodies and how they are a gift from God and to be used by God. In 2021, $71 billion were spent in the United States just on diets, not supplements, not gym membership, just diets. People trying to gain information, learn as much as they could about how they could control what they eat and how they eat and when they eat. There was a recent study done, um, part of a a medical study done by Johns Hopkins about how different people perceive their own health. And they did part of the study based on generational groups. And the study found that 80% of millennials, those are folks a little bit younger than me, do not believe that they're in good health. 80%. There's this sense in which the way in which we understand our bodies as part of who we are is a little bit separated from the rest of ourselves. And this morning I want to talk about this kind of awkward topic about how we put that back together, how we spiritually start thinking about ourselves holistically. Not only the spiritual life we have, but the body that we've been given and how that body is a gift from God. I want to talk first about the body that's built by God. Our bodies are made in the image of the Creator, we learn in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Here's the text. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Our life and our bodies are sacred things. Why? because they're made by God. We've often become fond of saying that God doesn't make junk, right? God makes good things, delightful things. And so our bodies have this sacred piece of who we are that oftentimes we we sometimes treat the body as a commodity, a thing, uh, an object to be used or an object to be pleasured rather than understanding it as the sacred thing that God has given us to be used in a unique sort of way. For us in the Western world, especially those of us Americans, especially those of us who come out of a more puritanical tradition, our sense of the sin of the body almost always has to do with something sexual. But I would suggest to you that that perhaps might blind us to the other ways in which the body is not used for its best and most sacred purposes for God. We learn also not only is the body made in the image of the Creator, but it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 tell us this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own, that you've been bought for a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. Our body, of course, is part of the body of Christ, and this is kind of the Apostle Paul's way of describing who we are in community, but he's also making it quite clear that the, the body itself is a habitation of God's Holy Spirit. So if it wasn't enough for us to understand that our body is built by God in the image of God we we're made, let's keep in mind that our bodies are in, in every way a container of the Holy Spirit, that the very presence of God is with us at all times. It's remarkable to me how much We engage as human beings in the living of our life as if God doesn't see everything and know everything, that somehow we've hid it, we've concealed it. For those of us in Jesus Christ, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. They're sacred, and they contain a great treasure. And then the last verse I want to share with you about the body by God is the body glorified. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, the apostle writes, from which we also eagerly await for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, listen, the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So hold on to your pew. The body is not a temporary thing. The body is an eternal thing. That there is in every way way in which God is going to glorify the body. So that who we are is not just departed into some ethereal spiritual realm, but eternally our grounding is to be in body. In my mind, this makes all the sense in the world because why else would Jesus come in body? to be among us, to be crucified, and to be resurrected, except to help us understand what the destiny of this body is going to be. So what happens oftentimes is we think about our life eternally as it is spiritually with God, and I invite you just for a moment to think about what it's going to be like alive with God eternally, physically with God, in body, as the apostle tells us. These are not texts we spend enough time in because oftentimes it just becomes easier to see our body as a commodity to be used rather than a treasure to be stewarded. So let's turn to Daniel the vegetarian. (laughs) Body built for God. Now, Daniel and his three friends had been taken in the exile to Babylon, and we've been centering on this story for the last couple of weeks in worship about how the, the southern kingdom of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem, were conquered by the Neo-Babylonian Empire, specifically King Nebuchadnezzar, and many of its residents were taken into exile in Babylon all the way across the Arabian Desert, from, on today's map, all the way from where Uh, Palestine is to where Iraq is. It's a long way away and in the process of going into that exile there were individuals who were identified that had particular giftings like Daniel. They could be trained. They could be taught how to speak languages. They were learned people and so Nebuchadnezzar took these people and he desired to train them so that they could serve in his court in a three-year training process. Now, Daniel has three friends. Everybody know their names? Excellent. You know their Babylonian names that honor the Babylonian gods. Their Hebrew names, you only learn here, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So those are Daniel's three friends. Daniel's three friends, along with himself, were gathered together to be in the king's court. And there was a man, Ashpenaz, who was assigned the responsibility of training them for three years so that they would be ready to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. They had to be taught languages. They had to go through this entire rigorous process of preparation in order to do that work. So as part of the king's court to be, they were given the king's food and the king's wine. And in some translations of the Hebrew, it talks about how this isn't just choice food, this is rich food. And so those of you in the room who like rich food, (laughs) that's exactly what was served, rich food. Now, you've heard it popularized over the last 20 years, uh, another diet called the Daniel Diet. Perhaps you've heard of it, pioneered by uh, the Saddleback Church and Rick Warren okay, it's a diet. It's eating some vegetables. So let's just sit with this story for a little bit and see what we can learn. Four things, very quickly. So first, is that food is for health and joy. Food is for health and joy. So when Daniel's three friends are taken into exile along with him, they decide that they're not going to eat the king's choice food that's put before them, but instead they ask for a diet of vegetables. Now we'll talk a little bit later on why Daniel may have asked for that. But in any case, they eat vegetables for a 10-day test. And after 10 days, they were going to determine whether Daniel, after eating vegetables for 10 days, looked better and was stronger than the counterparts in the king's court to be that were eating all the rich choice food. Now food... Is difficult for us, is it not? All right, now the, the truth and disclosure here. I got ready to come to work this morning. The belt was tighter. I hate that. Yeah, I know. I hate that too. <laughs> Food and I have had a combative relationship for over 40 years. About 15 years ago, I weighed almost 400 pounds. And I lost some weight, and then about 10 years ago, I lost a lot, about 100 pounds, just by diet and exercise. I've put some of that weight back on. So you see, food and I, we're in a bit of a tussle about how life moves forward. So the one interesting thing about being a person that has trouble with controlling what they eat is it's one of the addictions that many of us have and have a whole variety of things, but it's the one addiction that it can never be concealed. It's always billboarded, it's always out there, it's always in front of people. And man, when I was going to school and I was overweight, middle school and high school, that's where I learned that people can be cruel. I experienced so much body shaming when I was a 13 to 18 year old. I I could write a volume about it. And so when we're talking about food for health and joy, let's take a page from what Daniel is offering us here. The food is for his health. It's not like he's not going to eat. He's going to eat. But he's going to eat vegetables. And there's a reason why he does, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But what I want us to focus on for a moment is that for Daniel, what he eats, how he eats, when he eats is linked holistically to his identity as a Jewish man living in exile in Babylon. Those are not separate things. His identity as a Jewish man is linked to his choices about what he eats. Daniel thinks holistically about his body. And holistically about what he eats here's another key for the body that's built for God there are routines that we keep for movement so the key to maintaining the body is its continued movement because let's be honest one day our body will be at rest will it not the body will be at rest at some point in time but the body is to have some sort of movement. So I was doing a little bit of research a few weeks ago, preparing for today, and I was watching that documentary, some of you may have seen, on different micro-communities around the world where individuals seemingly have long lifespans. They can live, many of them, up to 100 years old. And one of the communities they focused on was a small community on the Japanese island of Okinawa. And they talked not only about what they ate, peculiar kind of vegetable, but it talked about what they did for movement, and so they showed quite a bit of video of people who were well into their 90s squatting while they were working in their garden and squatting when they ate, and so they did a study on how many times these people in the small community in Okinawa squat and how many squats they do in a day. People over the age of 90, you know how many squats they do a day? On average? 350. Let's all stand and try that. (laughs) That Feet hip-width apart, no. They attributed this movement of the Okinawans To their longevity and their ability of their bodies to continue to move because they had been doing that type of work and physical activity their whole life and so people were living well into their 90s and very able to move walk and get around you know certainly there are diseases and other things that that trouble the okinawans just as much as we do but there's something to perhaps be learned here about movement Notice at the end of the 10-day test of Daniel eating his vegetables, it said that he was stronger and more vigorous, that's the word in Hebrew, than his Babylonian counterparts. And so Ashkenaz said, well, give them more vegetables. (laughs) There's a sense in which it wasn't just what they were eating, the sense of the movement that they were doing, the sense of exercise they were doing that's implied in the text, because they appear to be stronger and more vital than their babylonian counterparts movement is important for us this is part of the vexing issue with me and my own weight is i exercise five days a week for 90 minutes a day and no matter how much i keep doing it i seem to continually go oh that donut looks really good over there (laughs) there's a way in which we have to understand ourselves holistically like Daniel does. Daniel knows that at the end of the 10 days, he needs to look more vital and stronger than his counterparts. Physically, his life is lived holistically, not separately. Then there's also rest for vitality. That's the third thing I want to share with you. Jesus tells us that Sabbath was made for us and not us for the Sabbath one of the most important texts about keeping law you'll ever read in the entire Bible. Jesus is accused of healing someone on the Sabbath, accused of doing work. And then another story, his disciples harvesting grain out of the corner of fields during the time that the the grain was harvested. He says, your disciples shouldn't work on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. Friends, do you understand what Jesus is telling us about the Sabbath? We weren't made to be forced to take one out of seven days off. We were what? We were made to rest one out of every seven days. Now, an interesting story about this exile. Remember this Babylonian exile I've been talking about? They were in exile for actually, in the calendar, about 67 and a half years, but round number 70. One of the laws given to Moses and to the children of Israel when they were at Sinai is that every seven years they were supposed to rest their land. Not harvest, not plant on it. Every seven years in the promised land, they were to do nothing with it. It was to rest the land once every seven years and also to rest it once every 50 years on top of that. And so if you add up the number of years of rest the land was supposed to have from when Joshua entered the promised land, till the time that Daniel was taken into exile. Guess how many years of rest that the Israelites did not observe? If 70 is your answer, you are correct. You see, Sabbath happens whether you want it to or not. It either happens by constructive deliberation and making decisions to say, I'm going to be intentional about my rest, my time for renewal, and breaks or it will be forced on you. And friends, let's be careful as we read these texts. Daniel and all of his Jewish brothers and sisters are trying to find their way in the midst of exile, a cataclysmic event, which the Babylonians have destroyed their city, their temple, and everything. And part of them trying to understand what's happened is looking back on it and say, how how did we get here? How did this happen to us? And what the scripture is suggesting to us in the totality of the book of Daniel and many of the other prophets is that how you got here is not a secret. What we need to do is accept how we got here and begin to shift and change our behaviors and our lives in different ways. Now, the last part about the body, a body for God, is embrace practices for distinctiveness. I think this is the key to the story, for me at least, as I read it. You see, what Daniel's really after here isn't so much uh, that he um, just doesn't want to eat the food the king has offered. There are some of have suggested that the reason Daniel didn't eat the food is because it was not kosher, So it could have been animals they were not supposed to have been eaten or prepared the way they would have needed to have been prepared for them to be able to be kosher according to a Jewish diet. That may be true, but since we lack specifics in the text about exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar was offering them to eat, it's hard. You're kind of like speculating in a vacuum. But there's one thing we do know about this story that's in the text itself. And it's that Daniel's choice to eat vegetables instead of eating the king's choice food is so that he would be different. That he wouldn't be like everybody else. That he chose a kind of a unique and distinctive path for his life so that he would be conspicuous, so that he would stand out. We have to remember that our practices of distinctiveness as Christians are not designed to make us holier than thou. That some of our practices as Christians exist so that it might invite the questions of unbelievers. Why do you do that? Why do you eat this way? Why do you give so much of your time? Why do you give away as much money as you do? Why are you so present with people when they're hurting or in crisis? Some of our peculiarities as Christians and our practices, and we have a few of them, they have mainly to do with maybe things we eat, our personal practices, our communal practices, Maybe they're there to invite questions. But if we eat like everyone else, live like everyone else, talk like everyone else, live in the same houses as everyone else, do with our money the same thing everyone else does, no one's asking, are they? In Daniel's case, they were asking. His choice to not eat the food given to him was to maintain his distinctiveness. So how could we think about that in terms of our bodies? How do we hold a set of practices with our bodies that are holistic in the way that Daniel's lived his life, but in a way that allow us to be distinctive in the world in which we live? That occasionally someone might actually ask us, what's your deal? Why do you do that? And then when they ask, what do we say? Jesus. Jesus is why I live this way. And that gives us the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us. It's usually when they ask. This morning, between two candles... We're going to hear a testimony and some sharing from our brother Chuck Zittel. Chuck, come on up. As I was thinking about Body by God, which was a play off of a video and a book back in the 1990s, I thought of Chuck. And so I wanted Chuck to come and sit with me for a moment and we talk a little bit more about this in detail because I want you to get a sense of what this looks like in, in real life. And uh, not only Chuck's success story in this space, but um, also mishaps along the way that we'll uh, talk about in just a minute. Chuck, thanks for being here. Appreciate you.
1: I'm glad to speak.
0: So how have you learned in your life to treat food differently than most of the American population? Um,
1: well, first of all, uh, I am a good example in my, my dad, and I've spoken about him before, but... Uh, My dad always kept a vegetable garden, and he was a fisherman and a hunter, so I grew up eating wild game and salmon and so forth. And he was, my dad lived vitally until his 90s, Mm. and he just ate very simply, didn't eat a lot of processed foods, so had a good example to start out with. And I followed that example for most of my adult life. And I'm proud to say, some of you know I play the bagpipes, right? So I started when I was about 10 years old, and my parents bought me a kilt <laughs> when I was 10. And you know the kilt can kind of expand and contract, right? But I can still wear the kilt that my parents bought for me when I was 10. Wow. And I can get it to the, to the smallest size. So I'm always kind of, when I put my kilt back on, I'm always kind of measuring myself to say, am I g- gaining or losing? I also wrestled when I was in high school at 178. I can tell you that a day I, can, I'm, I weigh less than what I, my wrestling weight. So I'm always proud of that too. So that's Amen. part of it. Amen. Um, my life verse is Acts 13:36, And it's where Paul is speaking to the, I don't know who he's speaking to, but the the verse is, um, (laughs) now I'm gonna miss it. Uh, David served God's purposes in his lifetime, and then he died. That's the verse. And so I'm always thinking about, how do I serve God as long as possible in what he's intended for my life? So Mm. that that focuses me on saying, how do I live as healthy As long as possible makes sense yeah so one time about 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 two years ago i read a book called how not to die okay
0: (laughs) sounds important (laughs) yeah
1: and one of the things that was in that book was you have to eliminate the big three in our culture for for health meaning heart disease cancer and diabetes so what can i do to be reducing the risk i mean i have no No control of what what God might have to do, but I do, like you in your point in your podcast, there's things that I can take control of, and so what can I do to eliminate those? Also, um, I'm concerned about what's going on in our environment and climate change. A long time ago, when I was 18 years old, I went fishing with my dad in the Strait of Juan de Fuca, and he cut off the engine in the morning while we were heading out and said, enjoy this. Because it's not going to be like this when you're my
0: age. Mm.
1: And it's become true, right? I mean, our salmon are endangered here. I just came from a trip in Montana. Uh, The buffalo came back from extinction simply because about 250 of them happened to hide in Yellowstone Park. Otherwise, they would have been wiped out. So I'm concerned about the environment. I feel like I am um, helpless sometimes. So what can I do in my own life that can make a difference?
0: Let me ask you then, Chuck. So what are some of the routines that you keep with your body and how are they linked to your spiritual life?
1: Sure. Um, First of all, uh, I have a usual kind of a daily goal about what I'm trying to eat. And first of all, I'm a vegetarian. I became a vegetarian about a year ago partly because of my wife led me there, too. But um, I try to make it simple. I try not to make as much of the food as I possibly can, so that I'm not eating, eating processed foods. Um, I also have a sedentary job. I sit at my desk in my basement and do Zoom meetings all day, so I have to get exercise. And so that's one of the routines I try and do. Um, because I broke my hip about three years ago, I can't run, so I try and walk, or I try and swim. Uh, John Glancy and I run into each other every once in a while at the Queen Anne pool, and so I try and swim. Uh, because of what's happened with technology, I have an Apple Watch and I have a, and a smartphone, and so I try and track my activity on my, uh, on my Apple Watch. Uh, that, that, that book that I mentioned, I'm trying to get my heart rate up to a certain level to maintain health. And I'm also trying to kind of stay within a certain range in terms of Mm -hmm. how many calories I eat a day.
0: And how's that? Tell me how that's linked to your spiritual life. How do you see those things connected? Sure.
1: Um, Well, you mentioned that, uh, you know, our bodies are the temple, of the Holy Spirit. And so I take it from that perspective. How am I treating my body to glorify God? Also, how am I treating myself so that I can, again, live as long as possible to serve God as long as possible? also, um, I find that oftentimes when I'm exercising or walking or whatever, that is the times when I, God can speak to me mm. and oftentimes mm. where I hear him speak to me. So that that can be part of it, too.
0: So kind of leads me to my next question a little bit. Uh, how do you rest and renew? And the second part of that question is how does that intersect with the accident <laughs> you just recently had?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, let's get the elephant out of the room quickly. The accident was, I was hiking in the Cascades on August 15th, uh, slipped and fell on a rock slide, slid about 10 feet downward, and landed in a lake of all places, broke five ribs and broke his finger on my hand. So uh, I was just out, I love the mushroom hunt, some people know that, and so that was what I was doing and uh, had an accident. I broke my hip riding my bicycle um, in Ballard, so um, I haven't been, I I would say I'm accident prone somewhat. (laughs) What I find is though, I have to schedule rest and renewal. So um, first of all, renewal for me is actually exercise. I can, I find like it's the hardest thing for me to get into that pool, but when I'm done, it's the most energizing thing Mm -hmm. for me. that there's a joy to finishing it, and that's the endorphins. I also find that I get renewal in, in Bible study, and so I'm involved in BSF. I leave a Bible study in my office, and when I'm done with particularly those exchanges, that that is really revitalizing for me, and so that's part of it. And then also, I, I need to get outdoors at times just for um, being outdoors in the quiet and solitude. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk about this part I was alluding to at the end of the, the sermon about distinctiveness and how some of the practices that you keep. Um, sometimes people ask you, I would imagine, about, you know, so why aren't you not eating the hamburger or right. what this, that and the So how do those, how do you do you often get asked that? And is there opportunity for you to sometimes to, to talk about your spiritual life and your walk with God in those moments?
1: Um, yeah, the questions come often enough. Um, On, let's see, on Thursday, I was in uh, Tacoma meeting with a client, and I happened to run into my cousin, who I hadn't seen in a long time, and we were sat down, and they were eating, and they were asking me, you know, you want to have something to eat? And I said, well, I can't have that. (laughs) And that led into a conversation of like, well, why can't you eat that? And I explained to them what, you know, what my food lifestyle is. It's like, whoa. you know we. You eat way better than we we do. And at the same moment, I had a, a client meeting, and he ate a cinnamon roll, and I had a cup of tea. And so I think people understand when you're abstaining that there's something different about you. Mm-hmm. And then our neighbors know that we're Christians, and we had a, a open house at our house at Christmas, and she came, came up to me and started to ask me about, well, you know what you eat? And I start explaining to her. Yep. I think that oftentimes people associate maybe what Daniel was doing or what I'm doing in terms of a, of a vegetarian lifestyle as being uh, Buddhist or some other. Re- the Christians don't do that. Mm. Right. Y- yet we can and we can be distinctive about that in our faith. And I can give reasons for that. And I've already kind of explained some of those.
0: So the last question I want to ask you is um, I think For me it's challenging because when I think about it 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 challenges me in my own walk with the lord. What suggestion do you have? For those who keep their body out of their spiritual life
1: Hmm. um I guess what I would say would be God wants us to experience joy Hmm. And when I look at my life I want to live that joy as long as possible. Mm. And so, taking care of myself, trying to, I think gives me the highest probability of experiencing that and not being living in a deteriorated state. Mm. Um, and again, the d- desire to serve him as long as possible with as much vitality as I can. Mm. Um, my clients. Often ask me like, when are you going to retire? And I just say, I don't have any plans to retire. I, I, I want to serve as long as I as I'm capable and as I possibly can. I always remember, what is the There's no Hebrew word for retirement, right? <laughs> that that there's we are always given the opportunity to serve, but we can't we can't serve if we're if we're, if we're feeling bad, yeah. and that 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 really uh, is, it drives me.
0: It's mm, a good word to end on Chuck. I want to thank you. Thank you for spending the time talking to her. I asked Chuck to be here today to do this Literally days after he had his hiking accident and uh, you're on my mind and I was praying for you then and so um, I'm really glad and blessed that you thank took you. this time to share with us. I want to
1: say I appreciate all the prayers For my health. I'm feeling much better. My ribs barely hurt now uh, my hand is much better. I was showing my wife I can actually almost make a complete fist now because I broke this finger. So anyway, thank you for your
0: prayers. Uh, amen. Well, let's pray together, all right? Lord God, we give you thanks for uh, the challenges that you lay before us about how we, how we eat, how we exercise, how we care for ourselves. And Lord, your invitation is for us to think about our bodies as much of our stewardship to you as time or money or anything else. Help us to use our physical bodies to glorify and magnify Jesus Christ. And as our friend Chuck was just saying, that that our days might be days spent in purpose for you. So give us strength and vitality. God, give us moments of conviction and awareness when we're abusing the gifts that you give us, not only our body, but the planet, for all things, God are precious to you, and help us, God, to live lives that honor and glorify your deep love for all things. We thank you, and we glorify and magnify you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Chuck. You'll notice that um, we decided to do this message when we were not having Sunday Café. We have delicious hot coffee after worship, but no donuts, no cake, none of those things. An awkward topic sometimes for us. At least it is for me. And so I want to do everything I can to build a church around us that we can encourage one another with a sense of safety so that it's perfectly okay for us to talk about the places in our life where we need more of God's grace. I need more of it. And I think all of us need more of it in our own way, in our own peculiar needs of our life. And what we give thanks is that there's a God that knows those needs already. There's a God who's engaged in every one of us, and they're engaged in the person sitting right next to you. What a great gift that is. So as we gather around this communion table, we celebrate the food that God has prepared for us. Bread and cup, a meal that mysteriously sustains us with spiritual food, for Jesus is spiritually present in this moment of the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup. Would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks and praise. Thanks and praise that you have come into the flesh among us. We're so thankful for the gift of Jesus, for his birth, his life, his teaching, his miracles, his death for our sins, and his resurrection for our life. And in the great symbol Jesus gave us to remember and to be empowered. He used food for the body. For we remember on the night in which Jesus gave himself for us, he took bread. He broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, the Lord Jesus took the cup, and after he returned, thanks to you, gave it to the disciples, saying, Take drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. For the forgiveness of sins in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. We honor, praise, glorify, and magnify you for your gifts. In the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.